Is loss of memory a loss of self? John Swinton is the chair in Divinity and Religious Studies at the University of Aberdeen in Scotland. He previously worked as a nurse and a chaplain, and he is an ordained minister. We sat down to talk about his book, Dementia, Living in the Memories of God. You're listening to The Distillery at Princeton Theological Seminary. Thank you so much for talking with me, John. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, We're talking about dementia now. And in the introduction, uh, you were asked how you wish you'd be treated um, if you knew you were going to have dementia. Mm -hmm. And I imagine that was a tough question to answer on the spot. But uh, did that kind of set up this, this book project for you? Yeah, it, it did. It really did because although I had spent a lot of time uh, with people with dementia in relation to my profession as a nurse, I never really thought about myself in that context. Like, so I, I always had a caregiver's perspective. Those were your patients, yeah. uh, precisely. Yeah. Uh, and that question opened up: Well, what would I like? Uh, uh, and that took me on a journey because I didn't really know what I like. I remember what I answered, but I didn't really know what that meant, and I really didn't really know what dementia was, which is a little bit ironic because I had kind of been working in the field for, I don't know, probably 16 years, about 17 years by that time. Um, but I'd never really thought about it because, because you, you're programmed to look at things through your own lens in terms of theology, in terms of humanness, in terms of relationship and community. So it, it, was, a, it was a first step in a bit a long journey. Yeah, one of those questions that chases you around. Exactly. Long after, yeah. Um, so you write, the basic premise of the book is that standard neurobiological explanations of dementia are deeply inadequate yeah. for a full understanding of the nature and experience of dementia. Yeah. Why is that? Well, because they tend to be ulterior, they tend to be reductionist. So because neurology is the kind of uh, theory of everything just now, you, know, if you get neurobiology of ethics, neurobiology of architecture, of the teenage mor- brain. Precisely, <laughs> that's right. Uh, everybody's drawn to that, like as if it's an explanatory framework. I, as in, I, 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 it explains absolutely everything. Now, I, I wouldn't argue that uh, dementia is a neurological condition, but I just don't think that saying that something's neurological actually explains as much as uh, you think it does. So there's a very interesting psychologist, British psychologist called Tim, Tom Kitwood, who talks a lot about dementia and, and a lot about that connection between neurology and uh, uh, psychology and social psychology. And he points out that if you look at some of the way in which some of the people um, who have died with dementia and have had their brains looked at, some people with profound dementia have little damage in their brains. And some people with uh, a lot of dementia have uh, or no dementia have a lot of damage in, in the brain, so mm-hmm. it's not a direct correlation between uh, the state of your brain necessarily and what goes on elsewhere. And so, if you begin to look beyond that and think about, you know, so there's some fascinating studies that were done a few years ago, and this continues to be done, uh, looking at um, the relationship between Alzheimer's and loneliness. Right, so loneliness it seems, is uh, a precursor to or at least an exacerbator of uh, dementia. So lonely people tend to be more prone to dementia. Yeah. But what this study that, that says is that it's not because uh, the brain damage 
that the person has causes them to be socially isolated. It's actually the fact that they have so little contact with people that makes the brain damage worse, right? Mm. So it's like, you so know... The isolation exacerbates That's the right. So you actually have neurological damage because you're not involved with the community. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, you, you get these terrible stories where somebody has locked a child in a, a, a room for the first seven years of their life and they come out and they can't speak. Well, the reason they can't speak is because you need to be spoken to before that part of your brain will be able to function. And so, likewise, for dementia, if you have no social circle and no stimulation, then, you, you know, the, the connection between your neurology and your social experiences is pretty tight. And Kutwu talks about uh, the idea of rementia, which is quite interesting. That, what is that? Well, it's given a certain set of social, relational and spiritual circumstances, people can be seen to reclaim some things that they've lost in different circumstances, situations. So if they're not stimulated, they don't have them or seem not to have them, put them in a stimulating situation and actually they, they bring them back in that sense. So it's, it's kind of, it doesn't mean you, it's not a cure for dementia, but it does mean that actually there's certain features of what's going on in people's lives that are lost if we say, well, it's all neurological. Uh, whereas in fact, most of it, much of it, sorry, is, is to do with the community that you, the place you experience it in. So what should be a starting point for um, for thinking about dementia as pastors, caregivers, family members? That would be beyond uh, neurology, but as people of faith, what's a great starting point for thinking about this? The first thing to starting point is to recognize that um, who we are is not who we remember ourselves to be. Right? So one of the things uh, that you frequently hear is people using language that describes somebody who's no longer there. So she's yeah. not the person she used to be. He used to be, be like that and would never do that, that kind of thing. As if uh, the person is not there. Because, I mean, at the bottom line, if she's not the person she used to be, then who on earth do you think you're talking to? Yeah. Right? So there's a, a profound pastoral problem there. If you really think that person's not there, then you're in, you're in difficulties. Um, but that's not how we as Christians understand the nature of ourselves or the nature of the self. So we're not who we remember ourselves to be. We're always who God remembers us to be. Mm-hmm. So Paul says that we are who we are in Christ. Now, that means that all of your identity, all of the things you thought you were, are minimized to this new identity that's given to you in Christ. And more than that, Paul says in Colossians, your identity is hidden in Christ. So you never really know who you are. You think you do. <laughs> you know, so I'll give you an illustration. So if I, before I became a Christian, I thought I was a pretty decent guy. I thought I was quite all right in the world, doing quite well. Mm-hmm. I become a Christian and I discover I'm a, a horrible sinner who needs to be saved. <laughs> <laughs> And everything I thought about myself. Well, the faith has just destroyed your <laughs> exactly. your conceptions of who you were. Exactly. And so everything I thought about myself, everything I remember about myself, turns out not to be that way. Then. And so if we begin to, by our exploration into the journey of dementia by thinking, actually, this person is held and loved and their identity is always secure in God, then that's a different place. Because then we then have to think, well, how can we identify? How can we join in that? How can we help to hold that person in love and in community and in memory? Yeah, so it makes it problematic to talk about somebody kind of losing their mind, right? It's ridiculous. Well, dementia means without mind. So as soon as you use the word, I mean, there's a problem with the word, but you have to be, in some sense, speaking about something, I suppose. Uh, No, you don't lose your mind. You forget things. So let's shift gears. The title of your book talks about living in the memories of God. Mm-hmm. 
What exactly does that mean, and, and why is it so important to think of it about things in that way? Uh, well, first of all, uh, we tend to think that memory is something that goes on within our heads, right? So it's most, something we like individually yes, possess. Yeah, is that what you mean? So, yeah. Well, no, I, I, yes, I do mean that, but also, I mean, it's, it's just confined to the, the, the shape of your cranium. Mm. But none, to recall things within your head is what memory is. And of course, to some extent, that's, that's the case. But think about it. You know, I, I lecture a lot. And I'm looking out and I see students writing things down on their phones or on their tablets or whatever it is. Like, that's their memory. I think about the way in which the, uh, the, my mother, for example, if I don't know anything, if I don't, if I want to find out anything about when I was, was four or five, I can't remember anything about that. I have to go to my mum, right? Mm-hmm. And she tells me, which may be true, may not be true, but it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. But the, but you know, in other words, she holds my memory for me, right? Mm-hmm. So actually, memory, of course, to some extent, memory is in your head, but actually, it's very often in the community, uh, in a various different ways. And one of the primary problems for people with dementia is that they are forgotten by the community. Mm-hmm. So you look, as soon as you get a diagnosis, the research is quite clear on this, but as soon as you get a diagnosis of de- dementia, your friends disappear. Not necessarily because of anything you do, but because of the presuppositions and assumptions they have about this word dementia without mind. Um, and so your social circle shrinks and shrinks and shrinks. It's obviously some neurological significance, yeah. but more than that, it's got memory significance. Because if, if your uh, community forgets about who you are, it's very difficult to establish your a positive identity. Yeah. So what makes God's memory different from... You're talking a little bit about communal memory. How does it help us understand what you mean when you say God's memory? Well, God doesn't have a brain, right? So yeah. it's a, his understanding of memory or God's understanding of memory of it is to be able to hold a person and to recognize who they are uh, uh, irrespective of any particular body, bodily changes that go through them. Mm-hmm. So God knows, Scripture is very clear, God knows who you are and calls you by name. And that never changes. And nothing can separate you from the love of God, Paul says. So God is always remembering, always holding us, even in the midst of the difficulties that we may encounter. So uh, it, that's what it means. The, the question is how do you how you communicate that with people through your love and through your gesture and through the types of community. So we know that, if you like, theoretically, but you have to move from theory to practice to in order people to, to feel it as well as to know that. Because one of the things with advanced dementia is a lot of things that you th- used to know you don't know in the same way, but you still know them. Uh, and that's why there's a, there's a th- kind of like a third dimension of, of memory, which is body memory. That your that your body remembers things over time, mm-hmm. and you see it really you see it really very sharply when you worship with people with advanced dementia, where people who a lot of the time are not particularly responsive, not particularly engaging. As soon as you put on music or do the sacraments, people engage and people raise their hands or they put their hands into the shape of prayer or they sing like, any of these things. That's body memory. That's that's people who over time have practiced the uh, the faith with their bodies. And now at that time when they're no longer able to cognate in the way they used to do, the bodies continue to, to follow. But it's not meaningless. It's not, it's not like a reflex. It's intentional. It's about Jesus. Yeah. Uh, so you may not, may not be able to articulate that in the way you used to do, but your body hasn't forgotten in that sense. Yeah. And so worship in the context of dementia is profound and profoundly important. What are some of the biggest challenges for people who are around maybe a family member with dementia? And how can Christians learn 
as you say, to quote unquote, love a stranger? Well, first of all, you, you realize that the stranger is not as strange as you think it is. Yeah. It's just a, a sad feeling. The, um, I mean, one of the most dif- difficult p- periods of a person's journey into dementia is for families is when they forget people's names. Yeah. And so if, you're, if your mum can no longer remember your name, that's, that's pretty devastating, right? And it's quite clear that that seems to be a social marking point where people then start to use a language of she's not the person she used to be. So it's, it's quite interesting the way that, that yeah. runs. Um, very often the people do forget people's names. Like They don't forget what it feels like to be loved. Don't forget what it feels like to be close. So that makes it really, really difficult for for um, relatives because you've had such a different story all your life, a different narrative. And it's, it, when that happens, it's, it's the, the real grief and the, there should be real lament. We should, I mean, I think one of the things that we, the church can do is facilitate lament as people you know, work with that challenge. Yeah. But in reality or in, 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 in uh, the lives of the person with the d- dementia, they still want the presence of people. Even if they can't name them or be named, people still experience and know love. So if your your mother's forgotten your name, she hasn't forgotten your love in that sense. And, and your embodied presence, even in the midst of difficulties, and you get you, you can get all sorts of difficulties, but it makes it difficult to 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 mm-hmm. to to to, to, um, to see the, the the beauty in that. Um, you have to change your role. And realize this is not no longer about me; it's now about my mom. Yeah, yeah, it flips that pretty quickly. Yeah. I remember as a when my grandfather had dementia. Right. I was pretty young. Yeah. And um, so he didn't remember the grandkids' names, but he still remembered our parents' names. And I remember yeah. that experience of visiting him and yeah. and yeah, feeling a little. I think as a child, it was just intimidating yeah, to know how to be in that space. Well, how would you um, know? But there's also when you're a kid, you're kind of off the hook too because you're not expected to know. Yeah. How to be in that space so i imagine now it was probably way harder for our parents yeah. you know than it was for us because they had to deal with lament and grief yeah um and try to figure out how to navigate that um well my yeah my, my sense is there's, there's a lot of joy in, in dementia i mean sometimes we paint the picture as if everybody with dementia is miserable and stumbling around that's not that's not case. always true no, no it's not always true and one of the things the church should i think needs to think about is what's the vocation of somebody with advanced dementia, right? So you don't cease being a disciple because you're 92 years old and you've got some neurological damage. Mm-hmm. How can you actually facilitate their being in the world and their being for, for Jesus? Yeah. I think it's just, that's a bigger, a more interesting and challenging. Is anybody doing that really well, thinking about vocation in that way? There's one or two organisations that that have that as a as an ethos. So I work with an organisation organisation down in Sydney called Hammond Care, and they have a very progressive. It's a Christian organisation, a very progressive understanding of uh, how, how care should be, and they have a, a series of facilities where people with dementia live. And one of the things that they are keen on is. Uh, to avoid the temptation of always looking back. And so we talk a lot about reminiscence, which is a good thing. That we bring you know, a series of things to the table that remind people of where they used to be. Um, but if we stop there, we implicitly or explicitly suggest that there's no future. Right? So that, that this person who's come to this stage in their lives uh, doesn't have anything more to look forward to, and maybe they do. Yeah. Maybe it's just a matter of finding the right space and the right ways of, of enhancing that. And, 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 and Hammond Care are very good at, at thinking through these things. 
That's fascinating to think about nostalgia or reminiscence and the role that, that plays in our lives because we live in a time, especially in the digital age, when we're supposed to feel nostalgic about things right away. Yeah. Like you can put a filter on your picture to make it look antiqued, you know, yeah. and then you feel nostalgic about what happened five minutes ago yeah. um, when you haven't really lived in that moment. And no. that's a really odd way to live. It's a very odd way to live. It's, it's partly to do with the way we process time, to go back time, because the idea of being in the present is just bizarre. No, we're always looking to the future. So most of us are always, we're planning for the future. We, we very rarely sit down and think, well, this is a moment. Right? Yeah. But when you're with people with advanced dementia, then you have to do that. This is the moment, because very often people live in the moment. Like, and, and, what's, but that, and that's not that's not a bad time thing. It just means that it's not like they, they live in the moment as if it's, it's a fantasy. It's that they kind of, they've lost their ability to tense time. Right? So you and I put time in past and present, right? and that's the way we kind of talk about mm -hmm. time. But you know, if you if you no longer have these markers and no longer have experience yourself in the world in that way, then you no longer have any tense in your time. So people will talk about something that 20, happened 20 years ago as if it was just now. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know, one of the things I learned in, in my other work on time is that's kind of how God functions. Like. So it's the idea that there's a straight line of time from beginning to end isn't how God runs. But so there's talking a wrinkle in time. No, like exactly. <laughs> so there's something. I mean, I'm not saying that it's, that it's mystical. It's not mystical, but there's something quite humbling about that being the, in, the, in the context where somebody is just experiencing time in a, in a quite different way, and locking into that and, and learning from that to be in the moment. I think is well, it's a gift, really. Yeah, and a reminder that, as you said. God's framework is different from oh, our absolutely. own. So we're reminded that God is other. That's right. And we can see that clearly sometimes in the difference of, differences of each other. That's absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of times we look to scripture to try to help us reframe the conversation. Is there a particular passage of scripture that's been really helpful for you in thinking about this? Probably Paul's words about nothing being able to separate us from the love of God. Mm. I think that's particularly poignant in, in relation to uh, dementia. But I actually just think in life, that is such a, a beautiful thing to say that it, we're not, because what he doesn't say is, well, I'll take you out of your troubles or I'll heal you and fix you and mend you. He just says that nothing can separate you. In the midst of everything that you go through, God is there and God is steadfast and God will never leave you. So I think that's probably the most powerful thing, uh, full stop. But in relation to dementia, probably the most, one of the most helpful passages. Yeah. You also talk about dementia related to biblical prescriptions for hospitality. Are there limits to that connection? Is that, can you say a little bit about that? Hospitality, I think, is profoundly important for living out the gospel, and it, it becomes profoundly important in relation to dementia. And what, I, what I, I point towards in the book is the shape of Jesus' hospitality, right? So sometimes Jesus is a host, and sometimes Jesus is a, is a guest, and it, and so it's a movement between guest and host that marks the, the incarnational hospitality. Um, but when Jesus is a guest in somebody's house, he genuinely is, right? So he sits down, he looks around and tries to understand what's going on here and, some, and learns from that as well. So it's not like he goes into somebody's living room and says, oh, your wallpaper's green, I'd rather you have it red like, like mine. Mm -hmm. No, so he sits there and he listens and he, he, he receives 
um, hospitality. When he's a host, he opens up space and becomes accessible to a, a broad range of people, tax collectors and sinners. Uh, not reformed tax collectors and sinners, but tax collectors and sinners. Yeah. Uh, and I think if we think about that in relation to people with dementia, it means that we're, well, the temptation is always to host. So we have a pastoral care team, we're going to host, we're going to bring people in, we're going to look after them. Whereas if you actually think, of it, what's it like to be a guest at the bedside of somebody who is terminally ill? What's it like to be a guest in the home of somebody with advanced dementia or a guest in the home of somebody who's struggling with mental health challenges where you sit and you listen and you receive the gifts that are given to you as well as try to give gifts in there? So it's just a different dynamic. Mm -hmm. And once you do that, you actually do begin to think that they recognize that there are very important things to be learned from people living with dementia. Yeah. That's really helpful because you think about hosting and hospitality often also indicates control. That's right. Like you're trying, kind of trying to control like where people are and how it's going to go yeah. and if there's a conversation yeah. <laughs> or if a conversation goes badly. Uh, but being a guest, kind of, you're off the hook for some of that. Well, you are, and you can learn. You've been listening to The Distillery at Princeton Theological Seminary. I'm your host, Sherry Osting. On our production and research team, we have Garrett Mostowski and Nee Otto Abrahams. Christy Holly works the creative design angle. From the whole team at Princeton Seminary, thanks for listening. Thank you.